a sunlit world of what he believes to be reality. But there is, unseen by most, an underworld, a place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. A dark side. Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And woo, it's our Halloween episode. Spooky. <laughs> yeah, we're bringing you a film that's uh, full to the brim of the cauldron with witches, uh, gargoyles, mm-hmm. ghosts. Not gremlins. Not gremlins. Uh, cats. <laughs> we'll make that clear. And cats, yep. What else do we got in this film? Uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve, <laughs> Steve Buscemi. <laughs> so maybe there are gremlins in this movie. <laughs> no, I, I, love, I love you. I love you, Steve. You're I love amazing. you, Steve. Please come on the show. Oh, my God. <laughs> dream, dream guest right there. Uh, but yeah, we're doing um, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie from 1990. Yeah, so um, this is in the tradition of many other horror anthologies of the 80s and, and previously. I mean, I was looking up, I mean, I guess one of the first um, horror anthologies was in the 40s, um, and it was actually a, a British um, uh film i forget what it was called like dead of night i think that's what it was called um Mm. and if i you know if you think back actually there's some like italian giallos that are um that are anthologies as well i think there's at least one uh mario bava film that's an anthology um has a giallo uh those are just italian horror films um they're called giallos yeah cool um Goddamn Italians in name for everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, yellow. It's the word yellow because I think like their um, their little books they used to read their like dime store novels were yellow right. b- bound in, right. in yellow. Um, so I think that's why okay, they call cool. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the tradition because it, it w- I thought it might be because you like you peed yourself. <laughs> oh way, no, unfortunately yeah. not. Um, no so this is a horror anthology film. Um, some people consider it the sequel, um, the second sequel to the original Creep Show, directed okay. by uh, George Romero uh, from 1982, um, then followed up by the 1987 uh, Michael Gornick directed Creep Show. Um, this is directed by John Harrison, who worked on Creep Show. Actually, I forget in what capacity. I believe maybe a, a second unit director or something like that. Um, and uh yeah it, it it's not though it's not really sure. a sequel it is however um based off of george romero's horror anthology tv series called yeah. tales, Ta- from, the tales from the dark side that's why they have to put the movie at the end of uh the title for right. this one uh, <laughs> and i mean they they did they've done i mean I'm i'm thinking of like um what is it? Uh, the Twilight Zone. Yep. They did a, they, a anthology movie of that, mm-hmm. and that's also called Twilight Zone the movie. I'm pretty right. sure as well. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like anthology stuff. I like anthology story, like books. I like anthology movies. Um, I think they're they can be really interesting. Like the idea of taking uh, disparate vignettes and um, having some overarching theme that 
that bands them together even even though there are oftentimes like quite quite stark differences um it's 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 a neat artistic concept it's a neat way to um present a lot of different moods in in one sitting yeah um and for some of the more recent horror anthologies they've also had different directors per um yes per segment um there's that series vhs yep Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen, but it seems pretty interesting. Just um, the idea. They're, they're, I think they're all based around like like the conceit is um, literally recording things with the handheld camera. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the ABCs of death as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen any of those either, but um, people speak highly of them. There will right. obviously be something we never do on this podcast. <laughs> so we'll never do those movies. <laughs> um but yeah, th- this movie has a weirdly star-studded cast. Well, not, I guess it's not weird, but it's pretty pretty good cast, star-studded cast. Yeah. So um, uh, we have um, Debbie Harry, we have Steve Buscemi, we have Julianne Moore, Christian Slater, Robert Sedgwick, William Hickey, David Johansson, James Ramar, and Ray Don Chong. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Especially the f- the first one, we have Buscemi and Slater and Julian Moore just all arguing with each other. Yeah, um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's um it's a perfectly cast uh, vignette for sure. Yeah. Um and then Debbie Harry too in the wraparound story. She's great. Yeah, she I, I have I have a lot of thoughts on on her role, but she she's she's really good. Yeah. Um, give me a second. I can hear Celeste meowing in the background. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Celeste is pissed that we're going to be discussing this number two. <laughs> yeah. Tomato meter, we have a 39% for the critics and a 44% on the audience. So pretty pretty close um, consensus there. But I don't know. I kind of really like this movie. Um, it's a it's a fun little fun little horror movie, tight little 90 minute yeah, I think it just gets drowned out with um, the this, the sea of horror anthologies from the '80s. Unfortunately, like I said, Creep Show one, Creep yes. Show two, sure. um, Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone, uh, yeah. Tales from the Crypt as yep. well. Um, I guess all the El- Elvira stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, that's anthology stuff. So. And, and, and from a younger kid perspective, we have stuff like Are You Afraid of the Dark, um, which is actually getting a movie adaptation. They just announced that it. Yeah, that's right. Recently. Um, and I think it's just at a weird place too. It's 1990 as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very like that's a very liminal time for like the the. I mean, not not that I, not 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 that like I think there's a whole lot to dividing up culture by decades, but there there is something to it, if only because of like the material influences of of the decades. But like right at the start of a decade, especially the 90s, is kind of a weird time for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it's kind of like everybody's appetite for these kind of films is kind of declining to some degree for sure. Um, But you know, it's kind of, these are all rising stars more or less. These actors and actresses. I mean, this is, they looked really, they look really young, really young. Christian Christian Slater, Julian Moore, Buscemi looks very young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Not James Remar though. He always looks old. Like, (laughs) I don't know how he does it, but um, he also reminds me of, um, of, uh, Ernest from the Ernest films. Uh, what is that actor's name? Oh my god! Um, I'm just gonna type in Ernest goes to camp because that's the only. <laughs> we're doing more live <laughs> live research, folks. You, you gotta love it. 
He was um, the hot dog. He was the slinky dog in Toy Story. He is? He was. I mean, he died. Jim Varney. Jim Varney. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kind of looks like Jim Varney. Yeah. 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 Damn. Mm-hmm. Jim so Varney, yeah, working um, class hero from Appalachia, actually. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. And also, um, in, in the second vignette, we have... Um, God, what's his name? He uh, William Hickey. He plays Uncle Lewis in Christmas Vacation, <laughs> which is a great role. Um, he he arrives right on Christmas Eve, and him him and his wife like they're they're just old old people stereotypes. But um, they they ask the they ask his wife, who's the oldest one there, to say the the grace over the Christmas dinner, and she's like, Grace, she died thirty years ago. <laughs> and then and then William Hickey goes. The blessing, <laughs> classic role. Uh, but yeah, he he's in there, and uh, the actor who plays uh, Hector Salamanca from Breaking Bad is uh, is in that is in that vignette too. Oh yeah, he plays he's, he's the, the driver, he's the, butler. the butler. Yeah, yeah, I knew I recognized him. Yep. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, and his that actor is uh, Mark Margolis. Yeah. Yeah. He's also in Scarface, right? Yeah, he's just been in a lot of shit, and yeah. um, he was the oh, he's he's the guy that kills Tony Montana. He's the shadow. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I know. There's just a lot of a lot of uh, touchstones with this film here. Um, mm-hmm. We have a review by uh, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly. Uh, he was not a fan really of this film Mm. uh he says the uh horror compilation films are usually a mixed bag and tales from the dark side of the movie is more mixed than most its title aside this slow clunky omnibus film feels more like a tv show than a movie it's not very scary and there isn't much contrast amongst the episodes they're about a killer mummy a killer cat a killer gremlin and a killer housewife so much for subtlety atmosphere suggestion I hate this guy, um, <laughs> not only because he, there is a lot of contrast in how those things are presented. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of contrast in, in the the tone and the mood of all these things. Exactly. But he also calls the goblin a goddamn gremlin. And you just called the gargoyle a goblin. <laughs> goblin is closer than gremlin. For, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. It does not mess with technology. It's not, yeah, it's not that kind of... Uh, beast for sure you're right i mean i mean mea culpa for sure but um he, he calls the gargoyle a gremlin yeah and and I, I would i would in the editing process i would never publish something calling a gargoyle a gremlin yes that's for sure um thank you although so the next portion of this review which i'm not going to read because it's just it basically is a synopsis of the vignettes of this film um he does praise the cast just like we did um, and most reviews did honestly That's i right. mean it's a They're good cast and and yeah not just like you know because they are famous actors it's just because like they do good performances um they're for sure. they're well cast in yep. this movie um yep. for their specific roles completely agreed um i guess the only the only real problem we have with this movie is is the third of the three vignettes feels kind of out of place yeah um not totally. It's 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 a cool concept, and we'll we'll get there when we get there. Um, 
it 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 just it it feels very different mm-hmm. from the other two and from uh the frame story yeah i just feel like they directed that one last and they were out of steam they were like oh, fuck i don't know we can't put like the same techniques and like yes. thought that we did into this one it's just like there's a cool monster we'll just like rest on that laurel <laughs> i i no honestly i think a lot of the energy and a lot of the brain power and like that the creative energy went into the animatronics of of the of the not gremlin yeah yeah definitely um so yeah there are three stories um which creep show actually has like five um and you know you might say oh that's ambitious yeah. but i don't know i think three is you know that's a magic number it just mm-hmm. makes sense you give every everyone enough time to breathe um and then you get out i would prefer three well-developed stories in 90 minutes than five somewhat developed stories in like 120 yeah exactly agreed um so the i guess we should start with the the wraparound story yeah the frame story that bookends this film um we start in uh unnamed suburban town and call me crazy but i think they that was a really they they nailed the tone of that really well they did like it, it it just looks like a suburban like like 1990s town and um they picked a good day to film it it was like bright but it was overcast yep mm-hmm. and um and, and that mood really sets like the the cheery but but dark the the cheery but like like gloomy atmosphere of this movie yeah yeah that 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 gloomy aesthetic is kind of a portent of of things to come definitely um yeah it has very amblin entertainment vibe to it uh very joe dante very spielberg um, yes. You know, and Joe Dante actually, he made one of the segments in the uh, Twilight Zone. I think he did the yes. Gremlin did one, he, the uh, Terror at twenty thousand feet, 20, or whatever, feet with John Damn. Lithgow in that version. Um, but he also did another horror anthology, but it was like a horror spoof anthology. It's called like Amazon Woman on the Moon or something. I saw that yeah. movie recently. Yeah. That's um, that's not a horror spoof that that's a that movie is a satire of um you're thinking of kentucky fried movie no i'm thinking of amazon are you woman sure moon too. really they're, 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 they're both like that they're okay. both like that um amazon woman on the moon is it's a it's like a, it's like a satire of watching like tv late night oh um, and, and seeing okay. like the in, in in the titular movie the 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 titular amazon woman on the moon is only like 20% of the runtime because like you, you you're, you're constantly flipping channels through the through the movie's runtime. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen it, but I've always wanted to. Um It's fun. It's it's good. Um I don't think Joe Dante directs all of the parts, but the parts he does direct are like you you can kind of, like you you would probably be able to tell yeah. in isolation. Yeah. You know what actually I think Joe Dante, you know, he doesn't direct the Terror at 2000 feet. He directs the Children of the Corn segment. Yes. Research, Folks, we're gonna do research. some, gonna do some <laughs> patented, uh, crackling live action um, research here while I try to vamp while Lewis does that. But um, I will say, Joe Dante is probably one of the is a pro con favorite director. He's got a good, um, he has a good aesthetic. He has good sensibilities for his movies. I I'm pretty sure there's got to be a Joe Dante movie that was um, received poorly that we could do at some point. Yes, there are. Um... Maybe some of his more recent ones, although I, I'm not watching the uh, 
ex-girlfriend zombie one i tried i was i got five minutes in it's horrendous uh i don't think i could watch that one and and for you to say that it's horrendous is pretty yeah it, it's it's just unwatchable um so joe Dante, actually there, there's a 2018 horror anthology movie called nightmare cinema yeah that he directed a segment of yeah so he he loves it he loves his um he loves his anthologies he does um so i was looking up uh twilight zone the movie um he did the it's a good life which is the uh the kid anthony who like he has some kind of power where he can uh control his world and then send people to a cornfield if he doesn't like oh my them. god that one's fucking yeah. creepy as hell so he directed that one and george miller of mad max fame did the yes. nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet uh spielberg did the kick the can and then john landis did the uh wraparound story that's a pretty good lineup yeah for those yeah, yeah that's damn it sucks that movie's terrible um but is it yeah, really it's unwatchable shit yeah. okay yeah. um good yeah. concept yeah good concept maybe we'll have to do it <laughs> maybe maybe um the joe dante segment is good um the spielberg one is really lacking and i remember just i liked the gremlin of the george miller one but i, I don't remember much about it otherwise isn't it shatner uh in the original it's john the, yeah, Shatner's yeah, the, yeah yeah it's yeah, john okay. lithgow um, right who does a good job but he's just kind of aping shatner so, sure. um, but back to, uh, tales <laughs> to uh, from the dark side, dark side. Yeah, really, I, that, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to slight tales here. Cause this, this movie's good. Yeah. Um, it's good. Um, so yeah, the wraparound story, uh, yeah, we start witch. in, uh, suburbs and, uh, yeah, there is a, the character of Debbie Harry. She got her groceries. She's, uh, she, she's enters her home and she's on the phone with someone about but uh, it's even it's even more wholesome than that because like she waves to the priest she waves oh yeah, like the, yeah. The mailman <laughs> that's right she's like hey frank and they're like she's like hey blondie and, and, and i don't know it's it's very it's very set up like you were saying like the whole amblin entertainment kind yeah. of vibe yeah um she takes a phone call about like the dinner party she's gonna have and yep. she's like oh two more people are coming oh that's fine yeah we can accommodate them um, very normal very very normal kind of not full we're not full house what's uh family not family matters one of those sitcom <laughs> type of show setups as it's gone but yeah then she um she starts talking to someone yeah. and the someone responds and he's like let me out let me out and then we turn the camera and there's a cage right there in her kitchen yeah <laughs> like a dungeon yeah she opens a like a cell. cupboard and then there's yeah. like this this dungeon cell where there's a child um yep. so she's a witch like in the stories like hansel and gretel almost yeah it's very hansel and gretel like fat she's trying to fatten up the kid she's giving him cookies all day and she's gonna she's gonna um cook him um she's gonna um she says she'll uh not gut him she says she'll um she'll she'll, like clean him out and he's like what's that mean she's like oh we'll pull out all your innards and then we'll leave the meat (laughs) yeah she has like this weird spiky kitchen contraption yeah, she yeah. shows him. Um, but she had given him a book previously to read while he was waiting mm-hmm. to be devoured. Um, and it's called Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. So this kind of sets up like a 1001 Nights. Very classic setup. Um, prisoner telling stories to, to their captor to um, to delay punishment or yeah. to delay death. Yeah. Um, and so the first story we're treated to is uh, Lot 249. Uh, mm-hmm. which is based on a story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. 
Uh, in quick note about um, Arthur Conan Doyle, he obviously wrote the the Sherlock Holmes stories and everything. Um, and you would think, based on that, that he was very much. You would think he was like an old school logic bro, but he was super into um, spiritualism and super into mystic stuff. Right. Um, and Harry Houdini famously um, pranked him because hmm. Harry Houdini. He he was a showman. He was an illusionist, but he was he was like a Reddit logic bro. He was like very anti spiritualism, anti anti any kind of like uh, metaphysical stuff. And what he did in his spare time is he would um, he would trick and um, and and reveal um, people like 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 psychic psychics and stuff. He would he would like publicly um, expose them. And um, one of the people he he kind he exposed and kind of publicly tricked was Arthur Conan Doyle. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just because there's, there's there's magic <laughs> there's involved. There's magic in the story. involved in the story. Yeah. Maybe sorry, Arthur Conan Doyle thought that you could reanimate mummies. Maybe he believed that. Honestly, I'm sure he <laughs> thought something along those lines. <laughs> um, so this film, this portion of the film. I think, I mean, I guess they all like take place in modern day, more or less. But this one almost felt like it took place in like the 20s or 30s. Like it had very much a, a, a like almost depression or roaring 30s aesthetic to it. I almost think like I could see this being like an Elizabethan era, like university students in in London. Right. Which is like, like, I'd imagine like the original the, setting. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like that. Like the idea of like. Um, like young men in their like early twenties, like being being students, and they get they get a they get a mysterious package on their on their on their flat. It, it yeah. definitely felt it feels like Sherlock Holmesian kind mm-hmm. of style thing. Definitely. Um, so yeah, there's uh, four characters, five including the mummy. Five. <laughs> um, there's uh, Steve Buscemi who plays uh, what is his name Edward Bellingham. Edward Bellingham, which is a Sherlockian name yeah. for sure. <laughs> Um, who is a, a working class student who uh, has to pay his way through college by selling artifacts? Yeah, he he has a lot of passion for ancient artifacts, and um, he clearly has some knowledge about them as opposed to the other. He 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 knows this stuff as opposed to the the stuffy dean that visits later. Yeah, um, and then we also have uh, Christian Slater, Andy uh, Smith, Andy Smith, and Robert Sedgwick plays Lee. Lee. And rounding out the cast is uh, Julianne Moore, who plays Susan, Susan Smith, uh, Christian Slater's uh, sister, and she's the girlfriend of uh, Lee, who's Christian Slater's best friend. Yeah. Um, so uh, Julianne Moore writes a essay for a scholarship contest, but she writes it for Lee, her boyfriend. This is pretty. In t- like I don't want to say convoluted, but it's pretty involved for like a setup. Yeah, but it, it is. All, but it, it all makes sense and it's all explained pretty well. Mm-hmm. But so, some of the dialogue presented, it's kind of clunky. Yeah, very um, very heavy handed exposition, definitely. But not to the detriment of the of the piece overall, I mm-hmm. would say. No, and and I think this film has um, a, a very like old school horror aesthetic and vibe to it in general for sure so you know it's it's you can make excuses and say oh yeah some of the older horror films had those more clunky expository dialogue scenes so it's Mm -hmm. it's allowed it's fine it's it's a you know it's an homage stylistically designed to be like that (laughs) um so yeah the julian moore i guess susan is set up as as having helped lee 
get this prestigious scholarship and I think it was debatable whether or not she she seduced it out of Edward. Right, right. I think they kind of alluded to that because like she, she's like, oh, I give him a hard on. He, he does whatever I want him to do. Yeah. And it's interesting that she's the one that did the 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 legwork for Lee to get the scholarship when she, her character isn't really presented as like as especially academically t- inclined or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so I th- I think I think that layer beneath that is that she she stole it from Edward or something. Yeah. It's um, she does yeah, she, like you said she mentions that she can get him to do anything cuz he he yeah. likes her. Yeah, and um but where when when Andy and Lee are walking up to 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 uh, Lee's apartment or Andy's apartment, um, his roommate Edward had just received a, a box lot two forty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and should be said that um, Lee and and the Smiths are uh, like upper class. Like they they have bougie wealth. As fuck. They're bougie as fuck. Yeah. Um, when we first see them, or when we first see Lee and um, what's Christian Slater's character's name? Uh, Andy. Andy, they're they're dressed in in tennis outfits. Like they just came. I think back they're literally. I think Lee is literally wearing um, the long sleeve sweater over the back of his yep. over his shoulders, yep. like tied in and front. You tie it yep. in the front. Yeah, yeah. he is. <laughs> He's doing yeah. that douchebag move. Yeah, super preppy, <laughs> yep. bougie assholes. I think he's literally carrying a tennis racket too. Yeah, and he says something. He, uh, Christian Slater asked Lee. He's uh, Andy asked Lee. He's like, "Hey, why do you even? Why did you even apply for that scholarship? You have so much money." And he's like, "Well, uh, obviously, you know, I'm going to go cavorting around Europe, and I, I need some extra money to buy a Maserati." Um, yes. So you know, and also Lee humiliates Edward because the guy who dropped off the worker who dropped off lot two forty nine to their apartment. Um, Edward's going to give him a tip, but, um, and he's like, or Lee's like, oh no, let me do it. And he gives him presumably a bigger tip. Yeah. He gives him, cause I think you could see maybe a few singles in Steve Buscemi's wallet. Right. Then, but yeah, Lee gives him like a, a 50 or yeah, something, something like yeah. that. Um, so yeah, lot 249, uh, this gigantic crate is dropped off in, in the, in the dorm and, uh, he opens it up. I like the editing here actually of him like opening mm-hmm. just like some quick shots of him just, you know, ripping off the different pieces with a crowbar. Um, and when he grabs the crowbar and is like sneaking up behind them, it looks like he's gonna oh yeah <laughs> go hog wild on Lee or and something. They are, the and they actually they, they like turn around. They're like they jump back for a second. Yes. Um, oh, and there's also the one of the one of the best lines. I mean, there's a couple there's a couple good keepers from this movie, but um, one of the good lines here, um, they're saying that ba- basically some of the some of the heavy handed exposition we get is that um, Edward was accused of of. Um, of stealing something from the university and that's why his um his application for the scholarship was delayed right um but what he was accused of stealing was something like a, a zuni some artifact a zuni fetish a zuni fetish object and he turns around and he looks at lee and andy like they're idiots he's like i loathe zuni aesthetics <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah great delivery too yeah um so yeah Opens up lot 249, and it's a sarcophagus. It's um, a mummy. And not only a sarcophagus, but an actual mummy inside. Yep. Um, yep. And for some reason, he unwraps the mummy. Uh, well, Lee, Lee leaves to go to dinner with with Susan, but then they start unwrapping the mummy, and even more flagrantly, they, they cut it open. Yeah, they do cut the mummy And open. he digs around inside of it. Um, 
and again that, that that's what makes me think like th- this would almost be a better as a period piece mm-hmm. like for the edwardian era because they also they they would do that shit all the time right. they don't give a fuck yeah um i guess it kind of makes sense if he's kind of like kind of a more of like a mercenary cynical character edward like he would only care about this these things insofar as they could be resold sure but then why would you unwrap the mummy though wouldn't it have a higher resale value if it's wrapped because he wants the scroll inside which is worth more presumably yeah but he doesn't know there's a scroll he's pretty surprised that there's a scroll inside because he says there's only usually spices and flowers inside of a mummy right right yeah um yeah i don't know um who cares logical inconsistencies who the fuck cares or not one also, he, he notes he notes that there are onions inside of it, and the ancient Egyptians did value onions for their regenerative properties. Huh. And their, their symbol, the onion, was a symbol of like rebirth for the Egyptians. Wow, there you go, folks. Okay. You learned so much on this podcast about mummies. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're um, he finds a scroll. Right, he finds a scroll. Um, he he's sitting by the fireplace and he's reading from the scroll later that night. Um, and of course, mummy comes alive. Um, and, and this part's so this part's so weird. It's like almost like Mr. Magoo, like the way that it like <laughs> the mummy moves around. Like it for much of the runtime of the segment, the mummy just like sneaks around and people miss it, but they just happen to miss it. It's like it's not like the mummy is particularly stealthy. No, not at all. It's 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 like Christian Slater is walking down the hallway at just the right angle to miss the mummy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I thought like Mr. Magoo or something. Yeah, it, it does kind of have like a, a, a somewhat like slapstick element to it. Um, old school comedy, like Laurel and Hardy or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Steve Buscemi, because he was cheated out of the scholarship, figures he can use the mummy to kill people. Um, yeah. Specifically yeah. the the Smith family Lee. and Lee. Well, yeah, first Lee. Well, not 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 Smith at first. That's true. Not the Smiths at yeah, first. Yeah, um, it is just Lee at first. That's what he's most interested in. Yeah. So he had chant. He had chanted the incantation. Um, the mummy comes alive, and we see it leave um, Andy and Andy and Edward's apartment, and it goes to um, Lee's place where because Lee Lee's alone because Susan. Um, this is relevant. She she goes to visit. Um, Andy and Edward become um, ostensibly she's like oh I just want to visit them but she's also going to um, hide a stolen Zuni artifact Zuni fetish artifact in Edward's possessions so that he can get kicked out of school yeah mm-hmm. yeah so while she's away the mummy goes to uh, Lee's apartment and um, this is like Nick was saying about the, the mummy kind of just uh, creeping around and not getting caught there's a really good use of uh, stairwells and hallways. Uh, Very good in this yes. film. Um, a lot of the times, it seems like even a split screen. Um, there's in in this scene specifically, um, we get a shot of uh, a hallway that looks into, I believe, the kitchen of the apartment, and then um, kind of where the the doorway is on the other side of the doorway we see the mummy is like waiting for lee um and then but lee can't because of his position yeah and lee can't see him and lee actually goes down another hallway that's kind of uh perpendicular and the camera follows him and that's when we see i think that's when the mummy like is taking the the clothes hanger the wire hanger apart yes coat hanger. yeah it's taking the coat hanger apart I was like, "What the? F- I'm, I'm such an idiot because, like, because like they set this up because Steve Buscemi says earlier when when him and Christian Slater are looking at the mummy, 
he's like oh they they would pull the brains out of the mummy's head and they would stuff it full of stuff so like i'm like what the fuck is he doing <laughs> having a coat hanger <laughs> I, 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 I didn't piece it together. I, I didn't have any brain power until the mummy holds Lee up against the fridge and shoves the coat hanger up his nose to pull out his brains. Yeah. He mummifies him alive like they do in the Brendan Fraser movies, The Mummy. Do they do that to living people? In the in the backstory, Imhotep's priests are mummified alive as punishment oh, for their betrayal. sure, sure, sure. Okay. Not in the... Yeah. We barely see it. They just allude to it, and mm-hmm. they show some people screaming on tables, and like it terrified me as a kid. I do remember that now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he takes his brain out. Um, then we get a scene of Julianne Moore uh, entering the apartment, and uh, at first she's like, "Where, where are you, Lee? Lee, hey!" And, and uh, she goes into the kitchen, and there's a bloody handprint on the on the fridge. Yep. And she's like, "That's weird." And then she goes back to the front door and she she looks at this um, just little fruit bowl that has a banana and apples, but then it has his brains as well. Yes, uh, that was great. Um, and of course, the, the Mr. Magoo mummy, he um, <laughs> she, she she catches a glimpse of him as, as he just walks out the back yeah. door. <laughs> um, but then when once the police shows up and the police the police show up and, and she calls Andy. Uh, from the kitchen there's a great shot of her sitting in the kitchen next to the bloody refrigerator mm. just at the end of this dark hallway and the way it's lit it's so fucking it's like a nothing throwaway shot but it looks so cool yeah now, i think the best cinematography is in this section of the of the film definitely yes. which is weird yes. because it they, like they all have the same cinematographer the only thing that's different throughout them is the the composer of the score like there's mm. different composers for each segment well, the next one looks really cool in its own way too, but we'll get to that. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, they they have a funeral scene, which is which is a nice touch. Like in in horror movies, whenever people die, um, we usually don't see. I feel like we usually don't see funeral scenes that much, but we we get a little perfunctory funeral there. Um, and when Susan had been at Andy and Edward's apartment, she had hid the the Zuni artifact fetish um, on Edward's mantelpiece. And so after Lee's funeral, um, Andy goes back to his apartment and Edward is being confronted by the dean and the, the administrator of the school. And they say, oh, we received a tip and we found this stolen Zuni fetish in, on your mantelpiece. So like this is the confirmation we needed. You, you're, you're kicked out of school. Right. Yeah. So then after that. Um, They're also with it like an elderly security guard, which I thought was funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then after that, Julian Moore is alone in her apartment grieving the loss of Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, the mummy, we don't see the mummy get in. The mummy just gets in somehow. She's holding a pot of flowers and she turns around and the mummy's right there. Yeah. She's like, oh, and I she hate throws the flowers at the mummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. When she throws it at the mummy. And the mummy kind of grabs it, but breaks the vase as well. He- he, he like grabs the vase but he grabs it so hard that the vase shatters and the dirt all spills out so he but he so he grabs the flowers yeah. as the it, it's like i don't know if that's a guy in a suit and it was just like choreographed yeah. well but it looks kind of cool it was it was interesting um yeah so then she tries to escape out the window and uh he grabs her he kills her with a pair of scissors actually 
Um, he cuts her open yeah. and stuffs her full of flowers. Yeah, he cuts her open and stuffs her full of flowers, the chrysanthemums that she just says she hates. Yep. Um, Christian Slater. Just like Buscemi had set up earlier. Right. And and just like Buscemi had set up earlier with cutting the, the mummy himself open. Um, and then Christian Slater finds her. She he also The mummy also wraps her in t- toilet paper as well. But it does a really half-assed yeah. job of it. It's like... It's like I don't know, like twenty five percent of her face is covered with yeah, like that's, and that's about it. Like just one or two, like wrap around her body, and that's mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and of course, uh, he puts two and two together. Obviously, at this point, um, so he he confronts, he knocks out Edward and ties him to his chair. Um, and when Edward comes to, he's sitting in front of the roaring fireplace. Um, and and Andy um, takes a bunch of papers and he throws them on the ground at, at Edward's feet and like all around the, the chair. And Edward's like, "That's my master's thesis. Like, like what are you gonna do?" And we get a great line um, from Christian Slater. He says, "I'm gonna start a little fire under your chair and roast your nuts." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he starts like putting lighter fluid on the master's thesis, um, and uh, the mummy, of course, is right behind him. Uh, well, no. Um, Edward distracts him a little bit. He's like, uh, Andy says, "Where is the um, where where is the incantation? The 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 scroll with the incantation." Right. And Edward says, "It's in the drawer over there." And then when Andy goes to look for it, Edward says the incantation, and the mummy comes to life again. Right. Yeah. He he tries to stop him. He puts some duct tape over his mouth, but it's too late. The mummy is is awakened once again. And he has like um, a, an electronic meat cutter. Yeah, Christian Slater. Yeah. Yes, it's like it's like it's not a chainsaw. No, it, it's like a thing you, it's like a thing you plug into the wall to like cut up big hunks of meat. Yeah, and he fights the mummy with it. Well, and it's not um, one you plug in either because previously the power kept going out in their apartment. Power keeps going out. So he was yep. like, "This one's battery operated." I think it's like one of those like turkey carvers. It's yeah, it's exactly it's like, like it, it's like a piece of commercial like cookery yeah cookery like cookery, yeah. cookery stencil, whatever <laughs> and it's a battery operated one so if the power goes out he can keep going and he he cuts right. the the mummy's uh arm off well he starts cutting off a bunch of fingers first he cuts a bunch of fingers and he yes. throws them and, at steve buscemi and then he cuts off another the arm and then when it pops off it's just flipping off yeah. christian <laughs> slater's middle it's finger the, yeah that's incredible <laughs> he laughs at it too he like he like chuckles yeah. at it and he throws it aside yeah um and then he cuts a, great. one of the legs off so the yep. mummy's just on the ground crawling and it, it's still trying to crawl like a good devoted zombie servant um it's trying to crawl up on steve buscemi to gain leverage to reach christian slater um and christian slater just like chops his head like through in half yeah. like right below the nose um and kudos to the effects of the mummy because like it seems really like crumbly and mm-hmm. like this it, it literally seems like a desiccated corpse um, I'm thinking of like other mummies that I've seen in movies and they, they come across as more slimy. Right. So it, it was nice to see like a dry, dusty mummy that definitely makes sense. And it, it, it differentiates it from like a standard zombie. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, um, it benefits from being unwrapped as well. Yeah. Um, yep. It's a different, different image. Definitely. Um, yep. so yeah, now Christian Slater's looking for the scroll and, um, see Buscemi's like oh it's over there in the corner or in the drawer and he gets it he he throws it in the fire and he's like oh no it's irreplaceable and he's like yeah that's the point dude um yeah yeah 
and um, th- this part's a little weird. It, I, I guess it's believable. It, I guess it's okay, but like, see, Edward says to Andy, like, "Oh, killing me won't bring them back," and he says, "Well, letting you live won't bring them back either," and it kind of just fades out, and then jump cut to Bashemi leaving their apartment, telling Andy, "Don't worry, you'll never see me again." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets in a taxi. Which oh God, uh, taxi ever. it's really the best taxi ever. It's like this goth guy. Like he's, I think he's bald. He has a shaved head, right? He's very like tourist goth look. Yeah, tattoos, piercings, yep. uh, a bunch of knickknacks uh, on uh, in gugas all over the interior of the taxi cab. Like bone, plastic bones yeah. and shit, and like bats <laughs> <Yeah>. and stuff. <laughs> it's something like from a Disney Channel movie or something, and. Um, <laughs> See, Bashemi's laughing. He's he's like reciting the incantation, just like chuckling to himself. And the guy is super aggressive. He's like, "What's so fucking funny?" Yeah. <laughs> he's so pissed <laughs> off. And um, see, Bashemi's like, "Oh, nothing. Just my my friend Andy. He couldn't tell the difference between like ancient Sumerian pornography and like and the the magical mystical like scroll, yeah, or whatever." And then. Of course, the reveal is that he he had resurrected Lee and Susan as mummies, mm-hmm. yeah, to go kill Andy. Yep. So they go to kill Andy. Um, the most baffling aspect of this story for me, though, is in Andy's room. He has a flag. He has multiple flags. I think he's just a flag guy. Um, but one of his flags is the International Brigades. Of the Spanish Civil War. Maybe he's a history major. I don't know, but like to have the international brigades, you know, the the fighters from all around the world who came to fight Franco uh, in the Spanish Civil War. It's just, was, that, it's a, was that the thing Hemingway was in? Uh, I believe so. I was free. Yeah, he was because he was of, of the uh, Lincoln Brigade. Right. Um, yes. So each brigade had different names um yeah and and a few of the that wasn't the only american one there was also like a washington brigade and i think a jefferson brigade and all that kind of stuff um but i think it's also just like a striking flag you know it's it's the um the spanish republic flag of like purple yellow and red and then it has the international uh symbol in the middle sure um the little three-pointed star um but i was just i was baffled i was like is Christian Slater Antifa? I don't. I don't think so. He's very much a bougie asshole. He's, no, he's a bougie ass. He's a bougie <laughs> fuck in this one. I don't think it meant anything. But it's so strange because like the rest of this film does have these like radical politics, and then it's like, it, was it conscious subconscious? But it's it's it meaningless. I would, I would bet anything they they found it at a flea market probably, and they they yeah. thought it looked like a college dorm room decoration yeah. they just threw well, and he has other flags too he has like the union jack and then he has like uh, a little pencil case with like small little like hand flags you know what it probably was with the whole the lee makes a reference to traveling around europe oh so they yeah, probably yeah, yeah. like oh they used to travel around europe mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. yeah strange just um he is very much not antifa no yeah no, no, no. he he's fa for sure yeah he is definitely um, fa <laughs> So that's how that ends. Um, the 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 rich eating their eating their own, uh, and then we cut to uh, the kid in the wraparound story again. Um, of course, the 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 witch is trying to. She's like, "Oh, that was a nice story, but I'm gonna have to start start gutting you now and <laughs> start preparing you for my house guests." Um, but he he distracts her. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna tell you another story, and this one's like really really good. I love this one." 
and curiosity gets the better of her so she says sure tell the story in this one this is how we start uh, cat from hell uh, and this one's based on a stephen king short story mm-hmm. yeah um and stephen king was actually in um the first creep show and another one of his stories was uh, a segment actually it's the same one it's the segment that he's in he plays like this uh backwoods guy who encounters an alien meteorite that's funny because that idea um and this kind of this idea both sound like um hp lovecraft short stories yeah definitely um the color out of space which they're making a movie of uh, which looks pretty promising yeah upcoming nick and, cage um, yep mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean the idea of like black cats is a is a horror staple but specifically like cursed black cats that actually harm people um there's a edgar Allan poe short story that called the black cat um and then there's an hp lovecraft one um about cats and of course the hp lovecraft one is pretty racist the cat's name is literally like n-word something oh it's God. like it's jesus it's christ <laughs> wow yeah um lovecraft was racist even for his time yeah. so yeah um, there's no racism in this whole movie that i can think of so no, that's good no. for the, this movie <laughs> this movie is against that kind of aristocrat stuff because uh th- this movie um Uncle Lewis is a pharma exec yep. in this one. Yep. He um, he he proudly says that he gained his fortune by selling. It's so it, it's oh, so it's, clunky. Yeah, I just love amazing. it. The way he describes it, he's like it 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 eases pain. It makes your heart it make like makes you eat breathe easier. It makes your heart feel better, and it gives you mild hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's <laughs> a painkiller, a tranquilizer, and a hallucinogen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, and he he hires a, a hitman um, to come and kill the cat in his mansion. Yeah, he's like, I will pay you a hundred thousand dollars if you can kill this fucking cat. Yep. fifty thousand now, fifty thousand when the deed is done. Um, of course, the guy is understandably um, dubious, yeah. or skeptical of that. Yeah, he's pretty pissed off. Actually, he thinks it's it's a joke. Yeah, um, but Uncle Uncle Prozac Lewis, um, <laughs> he he says no like the this cat killed my three house housemates i used to live here with uh, my sister her best friend and our butler and we get this really cool uh transition from him saying that like he's sitting in the living room of this mansion um and we're just looking the camera's just looking at him and it's just like lit normally but then as he says that the camera moves past him into the dining room behind him right and they light up that dining room with a blue tint into the past, and we see all four of them having dinner. It was a very... I'm sure it's been done before, but like I can't think of another example off the top of my head where it was almost like um, like a stage play, like the way they, they did that. They, they revealed that flashback. And all of the flashbacks moving into and out of the past are like that mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, very cool, very creative use of like the shadowy space yeah. of the mansion. Citizen Kane does a lot of stuff like that with their flashbacks. Sure. Um, sure. And then just films kind of throughout the like 40s and 50s um, kind mm-hmm. of are, are more uh, creative with their transitions from those kind of uh, flashback sequences to present day and stuff like that. And that's interesting because that um, that tendency probably comes from um, directors and actors and, 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 and writers who have more experience with stage than with film. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, like, it's it's kind of cool that that very uh, stage direction um, 
directly comes from that tradition of the early of earlier films yeah i mean for sure uh, the majority of early films were just like stage plays i mean um yep. there were yep. You know, cameras didn't move much. Um, there wasn't a lot of cutting. Um, you know, just kind of things were set up like a stage play. You'd only see one side, you know. You wouldn't see um, a whole 360 of a room or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, and uh, What's it called, the 180-degree rule? Yeah, yeah, 180-degree rule. But, you know, even back then, they almost didn't even use the 180-degree rule, honestly. Right, they right. Weren't... They would just, the camera would just move in and out a little bit yeah. or, back, or like, and, and another touchstone to uh, early films uh, here, uh, as you mentioned, with the the flashback sequences, they're all this this blue tint to them, yep. and that was a, an old uh, filmmaking style as well. In like the 1910s, 1920s, and I think a little bit into the 30s, they did a blue tint to signify like nighttime. Um, so right, not everything's nighttime right. in in these sequences, but. Um, it's, just, it's the nighttime of his mind, I guess. I yeah. <laughs> Dark <laughs> uh, night of the soul. Is, there you go. Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, the idea is the the cat kills off. The, the, this cat comes to their apartment, to their mansion one day. And um, all three of them suffer fatal accidents one after the other. Um, the, the sister's best friend falls downstairs and very cool exaggerated set for the stairs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost looks like a Tim Burton thing almost. Like, yeah. It looks like it's seven stories tall or something, just to signify how how yeah, like the vertigo. Yeah, and it's kind of a spiral um, staircase as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she she trips over the cat and falls down to her death. Um, the cat suffocates um, his sister. Oh yeah, because um, because she goes into grief and she locks herself in a room, um, and the cat steal, steals her breath away, like they do with babies mm-hmm. and old people. Like that that's the the little fairy tale right. thing they touch upon. And then the uh, the butler is driving his car one night, and the cat had snuck into the car with him. No, I think isn't Just, he bringing the cat to be killed? He's he's going to drown the cat yeah, in the river. Yeah, yeah. So the cat um, escapes its its container. Yeah, its, cage. It its ca- container. Yeah, and uh, distracts him and causes him to cause him to crash fatally. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the cat shows back up at the mansion to to hound um, to hound Uncle Lewis again. His name is Strogon. The guy, the pharma exec, Drogon. Drogon, Drogon executive, yeah. Um, And he's popping popping pills the entire time. Um, Also, that guy, uh, William Hickey, he he voices um, the mad scientist in Nightmare Before Christmas. Fester. Really? The guy that makes Sally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Also in a wheelchair in this movie, too. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he hires uh, this hitman to take out the cat, and um, he leaves him the apartment, the, the mansion. He's like, I'll, I'll walk you in here. Uh, you have food, and you have liquor. You have anything you could want. Just kill this cat, and I'll give you your money. Yeah. Um, and he leaves and get, in a get, cab. Yeah. The old man and leaves we, in a cab. Yes, a cab again. Cab shows up again. Um, and then we get kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like, um, what is it? Not the the most, not the most detective, the most hunter, uh, mouse trap. Mouse trap. Right? Yeah. Yeah, just like Pratt Falls trying to kill this cat and the cat making the fool of, of the of the hunter over and over and over. Um, and we get quite a number of uh, shots from the cat's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the camera's held low to the ground and we get um, kind of like a fisheye, like like vignette lens um, over the over the camera. Um, yeah, the, the outside, the vignette is kind of like bluish and then the the middle of what the, what the cat sees is, is kind of muted tones it's not so much 
uh, black and white or grayscale. It's just kind of muted. And I think that's actually what cats see. That's how they, you know, I, I don't think it's entirely accurate, but my understanding is that cats can see color. Everything just kind of muted to them. And it, it is kind of sure. a vignette-ish. Um, they do have kind of that peripheral is kind of blurred out. Sure. Um, so they did their research here. It's kind of cool. Yeah. No, it, it, was, an, it was an effective technique. Um, it makes chase and tussle scenes with the hitman a little more dynamic than yeah. just like watching a guy chase a cat yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's it's they do the pers- the cat's perspective like when the cat is uh stalking the hitman and then it runs yep. out and jumps up him yeah. slashes him in the face yeah it does a lot of like it, i was thinking of like dark souls like when you have to fight a boss <laughs> like you run in you cut it once and then you dodge away and then you wait for your chance and run in and cut it once again yeah yeah it does that a few times. It then it goes and like latches onto his balls, actually. <laughs> latches onto his balls. And, like almost takes like one yeah, ball we, off. We, we get a good scream out of him when it does that. Yeah. Um, he has a case of weapons. Um, it's like a a poison syringe, and I kept thinking that the cat would cause him to trip on the syringe and oh, inject himself or yeah, something. That'd been good. Um, there's like a knife in there. There's like a grenade. It's like a pen knife or something, right? Like it's like yeah, like a pen, and then it pops out, and it's like a really long blade too. Yeah. Uh, but he has all these weapons, and then in desperation, he whips out this pistol, and um, Internet Movie Database failed us. We couldn't find yeah. out what this pistol was. Internet Movie Firearm it, Database really failed us here this time. It's the only thing that really breaks the mood of this one, because it, it's futuristic yep. and it has a laser sight mm-hmm. on it. But everything else, like, if you take that out, this movie could take could have taken place in 1910 or in 2010. Yeah, yeah. Besides the besides, cabbie besides as well. The cab, and then... 1930 or, yeah. or 1990. The car was just a little too, you know, modern. Like obviously, 80s or 90s cab, but but the idea is you could change that, yes. whereas you couldn't change a laser pointer. Right? Yeah. the The gun is the gun's ridiculous. Uh, it it's kind of like a, a, a it's, it seems kind of like maybe a 1911 Colt plus like this weird like rifle barrel on it. It looks almost like a clunkier version of the Duck Hunt Zapper. <laughs> it does. It, they do really like make a, it a, look a, like that. Yeah. Like a gray, clunky, bigger version of that with a laser. I wouldn't be surprised if they just like painted one of those Nintendo <laughs> Duck Hunt zappers. Well, I mean, it, look, it looked a little too big because he, he's like a average size man and it looked like big in his hands yeah, too. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's pretty, it looks it's enormous. pretty large. Um, yeah. I liked a lot of this film just because like it's just him alone hanging out in a house, yep. like just complaining about everything. Just drinking and like just bitching and moaning yeah, about because like you know the old man's like everything you could want he's like i made this house so that you could have everything that you could want um and then he like there's like a there's boiled egg there's like a boiled, yeah, there's, like, there's like nothing in the fridge there's like some jam and a boiled egg and then there's like the shittiest like bottom Cheap. shelf liquor yeah. um oh and he's like screaming at the cat too he's like oh why is it rich guys always cheap out on liquor Nothing but the best for me. <laughs> just tosses it back. <laughs> yeah, he's just getting like fucking wasted while he's supposed to kill this cat. Um, there's a scene where he just he's playing pool, um, mm-hmm. and then he's he's watching television. That's when he has the giant gun. He's just like watching television. He's waiting for the cat to like you right. know go in front of the light of the TV, um, and he like you right. know, he gets the the laser pointer right between the cat's eyes, and he shoots, and it 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 he blasts the tv instead he's like oh my god i can't believe it had this happen 
and see that is an instance that I really liked about this um, because for most of this runtime, it's ambiguous as to whether or not the cat is actually cursing these people. It's like he's actually magical, right? Right. Like um, all the deaths are plausible from a mundane point of view, but it's also equally possible that the cat is cursed. And the idea that like he's super drunk and he's like distracted and he's pissed off and he's injured at this point. So of course he could miss a shot, even an easy shot like that. But it's also possible that the cat just caused him to miss because it's a magic cat. Yeah. So like I, I liked like the, there's a lot of ambiguity up until the finale where we try to find out the cat is a magic cursed cat because yeah. it jumps inside of his mouth. Yeah, it jumps inside of his mouth. So I guess it should be said that we, we mentioned that uh, the the old guy, Uncle Lewis, uh, Drogon, is a pharma executive. But we didn't mention that uh, he thinks that the cat is uh, getting revenge on him because for all yes. of the... Uh, testing the drug testing they did in labs they used cats um yep. so they kill he killed over the last decade like five thousand cats were killed by his company yeah um, yep. so he believes that this cat has been sent uh by the cat gods by bast uh <laughs> to get hey catwoman Cal- titan right <laughs> <laughs> to, to get revenge on him um yeah and then it's it's basically true because uh the the cat uh goes into the hitman's mouth uh, like a pill uh, yep. is, is swallowed whole yep. um, goes in its stomach and actually I thought it was going to come out like alien like I did too uh, I, that's exactly yeah. what I thought. but to their credit it was a little more creative than that it was um, it is more fucked it up just than hang- that for sure <laughs> it just hangs out in his stomach all night yeah until Uncle Lewis gets back and he sees the, the corpse of the hitman on the floor and he freaks out and then the cat bursts out of the hitman's mouth yeah. again instead of the stomach, mm-hmm. which is very disturbing. It was image. incredibly disturbing. And the way, like, when yeah. it finally comes out, like, fully out of the hitman's mouth, like, it's yep. tr- it's torn, like, the whole, like, face in half. and It, like, rips his cheeks yeah, apart. It's, it's yeah, like, it's... very brutal, very disgusting. Yeah. Uh, and it jumps on Uncle Lewis's lap, and it uh, scares him to death with a yeah, heart attack, he has, which he was nice. I, I like that it didn't have to do anything. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, it's pretty great. It's it's a, such a simple premise, very simple, very classic, very um, effective, um, very very cool editing and scene transitions with that whole stage stage direction thing I was tel- talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we once again go back to the uh, little boy in the cage, and mm-hmm. we think, oh, your time's up, but no, he says. Um, well, he says this is a love story. Yeah, because previously, that's how, that's how, that's a, yeah, Debbie Harriet says something like she likes love stories, and that and that's that's how he's able to entice her. She's like, I don't remember ever reading a love story in that one. He's like, No, no, it is, it is. And then he launches into story number three. Yeah, story number three, which is called the Lover's Vow. Um, so mm-hmm. it's actually based on Japanese folklore, the uh, Yuki Ona, um, which mm-hmm. are like these ghost women. Um, and this version is specifically an adaptation of the book Kwaidan by some like European guy sure. who um, studied um, in Japan and wrote a bunch of stories down. This one definitely felt more mythic um, and kind of like primordial than the other ones. Yeah. Uh, the other ones felt more like uh, hammer horror kind of classic mm-hmm. style, more uh, European, more... Um, more like Victorian almost, whereas this one definitely had that I that like resonance of like a, a mythic cautionary tale almost. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
unfortunately i think it's like the most boring in terms of direction cinematography very the um the other ones had some really cool like you were saying cinematography and shots and everything but this is very very workmanlike yeah, yeah. nothing nothing flashy nothing remarkable. at all um so the uh this segment starts with uh the character preston the son. The, the, the fail son preston play, played by james remar um who is an artist a starving artist in new york city um, he is late to an appointment with his um, his manager, his, his agent, his art, art agent, yeah, yeah. at um, a bar, at a bar, and he shows up, um, and the agents, the art, the agents, like, oh, well, you, your shit hasn't been selling, um, you're like behind on rent, and all these bills are piling up, like I have to drop you, um, and of course, Preston's pissed off, uh, so he gets drunk, um, he gets drunk, he's hanging out with his with the bartender and one other star- starving drunken artist, yeah. um, Maddox. That's right, the, Maddox. The yeah. name. And and um, Preston uh, orders a Holsten beer, which is a German beer, and the mm-hmm. hitman's name was Halston. So yes. again, no significance there at all, but it's just a, a, a something to point out. <laughs> something else to point out. I thought he was saying Molson at first, and I have a couple Molson nice. beer t-shirts. Nice. He wasn't. He wasn't drinking a Molson, nope. but it's something to point to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he they they drink to closing time. Um, of course, he's wasted because he's he's despondent too. Um, so Maddox is passed out, and the bartender says that he'll leave him there until morning. Yeah, and he'll he'll wa- yeah, he's like, I'll walk you home, and I'll leave Maddox here until morning. Yeah, he can he can open up the place in the morning. <laughs> he can open up the place. <laughs> Um, so they leave out back, and as they're locking up, um, Preston's pissing on the Helson's, wall. Hel- Preston's pissing on the wall somewhere, um, and then suddenly uh, the barkeeper's arm gets cut off. Yeah, well, he hears and something. His head gets he's, he hears something right. like flutter, and we do, we do see a wing like backlit right. uh, in silhouette. Right. Um, right, and he, he, suddenly his arm's missing, and yeah. it falls next to Preston. He pulls Preston a gun out. out. He does have a gun too. He has a little thirty-eight yep. snub nose. He pulls that out, yep. and that's when yeah, his his arm goes missing, and it it yeah shoots out under Preston's legs, and like Preston basically like pees on the bartender's uh, ripped off arm. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and then Preston, and then the bartender's head gets ripped off. Um, and we find that it is a gargoyle, not a gremlin, not a gremlin. Um like 10 foot tall gar- winged gargoyle oh, that's re- redundant but like gargoyle with like this huge wingspan um it looks kind of cute it's so <laughs> it looks kind of like it's it's a it looks like mac and me almost like yeah or um the dinosaur tv show. oh it does look like the dinosaur tv show it has big yeah. bug eyes like that's the weirdest mm-hmm. thing about that's what it. i thought yeah, yeah. The, um it looks pretty cool it, it moves pretty cool the wings look the fit like the fakest part yeah the wings were really rough. But, the legs um, were kind of fake too. I mean, the whole thing looks kind of fake, <laughs> but like, I give them credit for trying. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing looks ambulatory on its own, yeah. which is kind of hard to do sometimes. Um, and that's why the legs talk. look fake too. Like the, the yeah. way, like the, the bent to the legs, and then you do see them kind of walk a few steps, and that just kind of looks uh, yeah. Uh, a little fake but um we never see it full body so i mean that's good as well i think we i think we do like once it's when it's like pulled back a little bit right yeah yeah yeah. but not not much mm-hmm. uh, that helps that does help a lot um and so it it of course preston's like pissing himself again he's terrified 
and the thing says to him like if like make make a promise and you can keep your life right and Preston's like yeah of course he in the thing the gargoyle says don't tell anyone you saw me don't describe my appearance to anyone don't don't tell anyone anything that happened for as long as you live yep in Preston's like yeah of course of course and then the thing flies off yeah flies off and Preston is distraught he's He's freaking, freaking out. Freaking out. He's going home and he bumps into this woman played by uh Ray Dong Chong. Uh who uh the only thing I know her from is Commando. Yeah. With that's right. Yeah, she is from Commando. Um so he bumps into her and like he he like grabs her and brings her into a, like a doorway and he's like, You shouldn't yes. be out here, you shouldn't be out here. Like, this is crazy. Um mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm not gonna rape you. Doesn't he say something like that? Like no, he 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 says, "I'm not. Don't worry. I'm not going to hurt yeah. you. But you shouldn't be out here. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, so why are you pulling right. her into a dirty alleyway? And obviously, he can't say I, I, there's a fucking gargoyle. So, I guess if he's terrified that there's a monster out there, like I don't. It, it, it was still kind of weird. Yeah, it was weird. Um, um, but it's how they meet. And, yeah, it's their um, meet cute. <laughs> oh my god, the rape line comes later, and that's the it. context oh for it my is, god, is that's wild. Right. It is. And we'll get yep, to there. In a we'll minute. get there. We'll oh, get, fuck, is, I forgot about outrageous. that. Yeah. That's um, right. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they they have their they have their meet not cute and um she's like, Oh, I got lost. I was on my way to visit friends or whatever and I got turned around. Um he's like, Okay, you can use my apartment and you can call for a cab. Again, cabs come up in the movie that kind of ties it all together. Um, all three of them. And so she comes to to his apartment, um and he he looks at the the claw marks on his chest and um he tries to like start patching himself up and she comes in and she's like oh what happened and he he doesn't tell her what that it was the the gargoyle he's like oh it, I, I ran into a beer bottle yeah. i ran into a liquor, liquor bottle or something a bottle of scotch or something like that yeah yeah and so she of course she doesn't leave and they they hook up and she she tends to his wounds and they have sex and everything um and her name is carola and she says she's from colorado Right, which is a little suspicious. Yeah. That and um, like the just immediate sex was like you know red flag, red flag um, for. Well, maybe it's red flag for for some reviewers, but it's not a red flag for other. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. A, it's not completely unexpected for other. <laughs> Virgin and Chad, folks. That's our <laughs> dynamic. Um, but yeah, so they they hook up, and then he wakes up before her. And he starts drawing pictures of the gargoyle. Yeah. It's almost like he's compelled to um to to create the image. Mm-hmm. It, it like it like plants a seed in his brain. That's how I interpreted that. Yeah. Yeah. He starts like he, he, he just he, he has to he has to repeat the image of this thing that like that accosted him. Um and she wakes up and he hides the drawings and they're gonna have sex again, but then he hears sirens outside. And this was this is kinda weird. He's like, Oh, I gotta go. You, you wait for me and he leaves. Yeah. And he he looks at the crime scene, and it's Maddox who is hungover as hell, and he's screaming about the bartender being found dead. Mm. Like that's my friend. That's yeah, my friend. He's being taken away by the police. Yeah, and then Preston just leaves. Yeah, I thought it and was. He goes back home. It was like sort of implied that like the police think Maddox is a suspect, and I'm like, are they gonna do something with that? I think that's implied yeah, for sure. But then nothing um, comes of that. Nothing comes of all. it. It's very very sloppy. Yeah. Um. And then when when. Preston goes back to his apartment. She's gone. So he's like, oh, well, whatever. Um, and then he keeps making more art based on this gargoyle. And then uh, Carola comes back. 
and she tells him that she, a friend of a friend who's an art dealer is interested in his work and she hooks him up with this art dealer yeah. and he becomes super successful. He sells a piece for like $20,000 or right. something. Um, and at the art gallery, the, he sees his friend Maddox again. Right. Oh, yeah. And th- this is so... This really... This is the clunkiest part of the whole movie for me because like Maddox is reintroduced and he's... They mention like, oh, we can smell alcohol in your breath. Um, so he's clearly drunk and he clearly suspects Preston of knowing something. Right. Um, but that's it. It goes like, nowhere. See him again. Yeah. Very, very odd. Um, and then we get a time jump yep. 10 years 10 later. 10 years later. Yeah. This this one is like incredibly truncated. Um, I, I, I didn't truncated. do like what the, I didn't see what the runtime of each segment is, but I feel like this one's the shortest one. This one's like 20 minutes. Yeah. By far the shortest it, one. It, it, it is definitely the shortest one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this one felt like the most TV episode yeah. of them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even down to like camera placement um, in the set. Yeah, the set, the, two sets. The alleyway. I mean, that's really yep. it. Um, yep. Although I guess the other one is one set, and the and the lover, uh, the the cat one is one set, and then yeah, but they get a lot of they they use that one yeah, set better. They get a lot of mileage, a lot better. better. And yeah. the same thing as we said with um, the lot two forty nine. They get a lot of mileage yep. out of the two sets yes. they use there. Um, this Definitely. one it doesn't matter at all. And I, I mean, again, I guess like those ones are both like thriller, cat and mouse type film, like Literally. segments. <laughs> um, and this one doesn't have that aspect. This is more, I don't know, psychological. You could say, but still, e- even even like the dirty artist loft apartment that he has, they could have done so much more with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like to show his his desperate state or whatever. It's just kind of like there. Yeah. Well, he has to hide all the gargoyle stuff. So, like, it's never, like, the gargoyle stuff is, like, just strewn about his apartment. You know, that would have been really cool if, like, they showed at some point, like, he's just going mad. Like, he's been drawing all this gargoyle stuff. And it's just, like, right. every aspect, every, like, every wall is covered in this gargoyle shit. But, like, we never get that. He always has the gargoyle stuff hidden in a drawer right. or in a box because he has to keep it secret. Um, right. So they kind of, you know, they kind of tied one hand behind their back. Um of course, it's the whole conceit, so I get it. But, mm-hmm. um, um, but yeah, it could have been a lot better in a lot of ways. Um, so we get ten years forward, and the shitty art director who dumped him is there as the babysitter for yeah. his two daughters. Yeah. I think it's a son and a daughter. No, is it two? I thought there were. I don't know. I could he has have, two children. I could have one was two daughters. Yeah, yeah whatever. whatever. One of them is wearing a racist. Um, Romani Halloween costume. Oh, yeah, the other one's wearing a pirate costume. Pirate, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're happy. It's like, oh, it's been 10 years. It's We, we have a happy life. Yeah. And, and, well, and it was their anniversary. It was the anniversary of, like, when they met, I think. Oh, they met. Yeah. Yep. And this is the wild line. Yep. This is the most wild line. Yep. The little daughter, this innocent, probably, like, seven or eight-year-old daughter is like, Oh, weren't th- th- they're celebrating their ten year anniversary? Cause mommy, didn't you say you thought daddy was gonna rape you when he first yep. met you? <laughs> Insane! I was just like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, the other great line from this like, this uh, this vignette is um, when it's still ten years in the past. Preston and um, Cholera are just talking like, oh, I'm so happy, like uh, my art's taken off, and she's like, oh, good, you can take care of me and my child. Like that's her her funny way of revealing that she's pregnant right. from when they hooked up. Um, and Preston's like, oh, so what, are we going to make this little bastard legitimate yeah. or what? Like, 
Yeah, but they they have a happy life and they have a happy family and his art career is thriving yeah. and all that bullshit. He even says like, "Oh, we can get away, we can escape the city, like we can go buy to a house country, in the country." Yeah. Like they're it's, you know, it's implied they're he's very successful if he can go buy another house, you know, sell his apartment and all that. Right. Um but he's like, oh, I just, I don't know what else I could give you. You know, I've given you everything I can. Um, and she's like, except, except uh, I can tell you the truth. Yeah, like, I can tell you what happened the night that we met. So he takes out his box of gargoyle drawings. Um, he and like an action figure. Yeah, <laughs> he takes this action figure that he made, <laughs> which doesn't have the wings. I was kind of upset about that. It's just like the yeah, gargoyle body. Um, removed, removed for storage. Yeah, I guess. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Um, so and and he he shows it to Carola and he's like, "This is what attacked me before we met, and this is why I was so freaked out when I grabbed you and, and pulled you into the alleyway." Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "This is the only thing I have to give you, like this thing I've been keeping from you, this one part of my life." And she's like, "Why? Why did you do that?" Her acting in the scene was really good. Like she she was distraught and terrified and angry mm-hmm. all at once yeah definitely and heartbroken um, like, you, you know i mean yeah, i think that really yeah. came through um so she starts transforming into the gargoyle, the gargoyle folks um yep. and the transformation scene is incredibly brutal um yep. the gargoyle basically comes out from her um it's not so yep. much that, like she shapeshifts into it like it's as if the gargoyle is inside of her breaking out um, yep. So you see, you know, the spikes on uh, the elbow break through her elbow, spikes on the back of her leg break out, um, the, um, uh, her head busts open and like there's this more mutant monster looking head that comes out. Um, the wings come out. It reminded me out. of, um, it reminded me of Blockbuster from Young Justice, the, they inject this guy with the serum and like his muscles burst out beneath his skin his skin is kind of still hanging off him on rags Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so yeah she she turns into the the gargoyle from dinosaurs and um then we actually hear a noise in the other room because the kids had gone to sleep at this point um Mm -hmm. and uh, preston's like oh no what are you doing to the children um, and then uh, the door opens to the children's room and these two little baby gargoyles come out and they're very yes. confused. They have no idea what happened. They just immediately yep. turned into gargoyle kids. Um, they're really funny looking. <laughs> like they're very derpy looking. They look even more like dinosaurs yeah. from that TV oh, show yeah. dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she kills him. She well, at first she's like, "How can you do this?" You know, uh, I told you never to tell anybody, and and um. You know, she she says, I, I love you, and I wanted to be with you forever, but right. you had to do this, so... Um, Why did you do it? Yeah, yeah. She embraces so, him, like, actually, with her wings. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a final embrace, and then she bites and then him she on the rip, neck. Rips out his throat. Rips out his throat. <laughs> um, and then... And she, she mentioned specifically... Um, you broke your promise. Vow. Not, not, she doesn't say, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't say covenant. She says vow. Yeah. I think. Cause it's the title of the story. Lover's vow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, they're, they're wailing and they, all, all three of them, her and the two children, uh, fly up into the sky through the skylight and they, they fly off screaming into the night. Yeah. Um, um, and then we cut down to the art director who's still trying to hail a cab. Oh, yeah. He was like, I never can hail a cab in this neighborhood. I hate this neighborhood. Why do they live here? And uh, yeah. he finally hails a cab. And, like, right as the skylight bursts and they hear the noise, 
Um, and the cabbie's like, what was that? And in true New Yorker fashion, the art director's yes. like, I don't want to know. <laughs> Forget about Forget it. About I don't want to know. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm art dealing here. Um, and then the gargoyle. Yeah, it, oh, and we end on a close-up of um, the gargoyle in, in statue form again, as it had been at the beginning of the short. But this time it has two children gargoyle yeah, with she's it. she's embracing her children gargoyle, and uh, they, they're all stone now. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I like this one, like the, the simple mythic nature of it. I like, um, it, it definitely feels like an ancient Japanese folktale just updated for modern day. Mm -hmm. Um, but like it, it works kind of, it functions as kind of a cool metaphor for like art, like the, the artist's tendency to, to sanctify your suffering. Cause there's, there's that saying like, um, all real art comes from from adversity, comes from some place of, of adversity. And I think artists can kind of uh, romanticize that to an unhealthy degree. Um, and I think this taps into that definitely. It taps into um, the insecurities and the fears of commitment and fidelity and in, in, in a long-term partnership. Um, how how keeping a secret, how, how making even like an innocent secret in the beginning, if it goes on long enough, can betray trust at the end. Um, I just wish it had better style basically mm. it was told better yeah told more interesting yeah um yeah those um all those themes and everything could have really been underscored by uh it's just a better aesthetic better film presentation yeah. yeah but um certainly not no bad. certainly not bad so it's funny um the reason i picked this film is because i saw this segment lover's vow when i was a kid okay i was probably eight years old i was damn sick um, and I think it played at night though, but I was recovering from a fever and I remember mm -hmm. I got to stay in my parents' bedroom actually, um, because they had a nicer bed and nicer setup. Uh, so I was just watching and they had a TV in, the, in their room as well. I didn't have a TV in Hell my yeah. bedroom. So they had a TV in their Hell bedroom yeah. and I was watching like, I think, I think it played on the WB. I think the WB before it was, um, eaten by, um, I think UPN bought it and that's why it's CW now. Um, yes. I think that is correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I always forget what happened, but those WB and UPN disappeared at the same time. So I think they merged into the CW. Um, sure. But when it was WB, they used to show horror films, not too late at night, kind of prime time. Um, right. Around Halloween. Mostly, I think, you know, maybe 13 days of Halloween, something like that. They didn't call it that. So even... Ev even if it was like during the day, it probably was still darker because, like, especially in, the, in in the Northeast, it turned yeah around that time of year, it would be darker exactly. earlier. Um, so I'm just like in this dark room, uh, lit by yes. a television. I I only see this segment, and I think I saw it from the beginning because I remember everything about this. Um, okay, and, and um, there were also commercials for. Oh, so so you saw you saw the shot of of Ray Dong Chong's breasts. Well, no, I mean they edited it for TV, okay. of course. Like I don't think, um, I don't even think sure, it was that graphically sure. violent. Like I don't, I don't know how they would edit that out, but I, I think they edited some of the violence out. Um, sure. Maybe like they didn't. You didn't see the guy's head being lopped off. Maybe you only saw the hand. Um, maybe they could get away with that for primetime sure. television. Um, sure. And then when you see the gargoyle, I thought the gargoyle looked like the ant transformer from the Beast Wars transformer, Hell Inferno. Yeah, the, that is the best connection <laughs> and dumb childhood reason for picking this for this for the show. Just like it, it's such like a weirdo childhood memory, yeah. like 
disparate connections of like things we have to remember and things like we used to play with it, it perfect yeah perfect yeah um so that's where my brain was at and then it took me years to figure out what this film was i mean because mm. it's probably 1998 1999 the internet's barely a thing i couldn't search any all these keywords yeah. and and especially the the idea that like this is a part of an anthology right. film even harder it's not just a full yeah. film um right I don't know how I figured it out eventually, but I think that when we were in college, actually, I, I, I figured it out somehow and I, I rewatched it. Maybe you were talking it. with somebody, honestly. Yeah, I I, we're looking up horror anthologies because um, I remember I had seen Creepshow around the same time. Um, sure. But yeah, that's um, that's my Tales from the Dark Side of the Movie story. Um, I saw it around the same time and on the WB as well as the film The Gate, um, which uh, stars okay. Stephen, Stephen Dorff. Um, who is in um, the uh, Sofia Coppola film Somewhere. Um, yes. Uh, he, as a ch- this is him as a child actor, and he um, plays a death metal album backwards, and it opens a gate to hell. That's fucking yeah, awesome. And there's a lot of cool uh, claymation monsters and puppets in that film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up here, we, we do get... Uh, we do get um, closure to the frame story. Yes. Um, because little Timmy or Kevin, he looks like a Timmy or Kevin. <laughs> um, he, he finishes that, he finishes the third story and the witch is like, oh, that's nice. But it's time to like eviscerate you and to pluck you, pluck you of your innards and throw you in the oven. And he's like, wait, there's one last story and it has a happy ending. And he's like, that's ridiculous. I've read all those stories and none of them have happy endings. He's like, but this one does. A little boy named Timmy or Kevin, he, he's on his paper route and a, a nice old, a nice lady tricks him inside and, and basically he's narrating what happens up to this point and he's like but then Timmy or Kevin remembered he had a bunch of shiny marbles in his pocket <laughs> and he pulls out marbles from his pocket and he throws them on the ground and he's narrating everything he's doing yeah. by the way and the witch is hearing him and she's pushing her cart into his cell um, and she slips and falls onto her cart she, her, she falls back onto her cart onto the spiky thing that Lewis mentioned earlier and the cart rolls out and she's screaming and it rolls out of the cell into the kitchen and in doing so she had dropped the keys so little Timmy or Kevin jumps forward and grabs the keys he unlocks himself um, and then he pushes her into the oven yeah and it's like a, it, it looks a lot like a, like a crematorium oven like it's yeah, it's very yeah. long um, it can fit a whole person in it well that's the idea is yeah. to cook kids yeah. you know yeah um, and then she yeah, and dies. then he and then he he grabs he triumphantly grabs the box of cookies. Oh yeah, she yeah. Had been, she had been trying to fatten him up with. And he says yeah. something, and, and then ends. the movie ends. I can't remember what he says yeah. though. He's like, oh, like oh, what a sweet ending. Or something. something like I think he does say something like that. Yeah, um, that's the film. It's yeah. great. It's really Cut, worth seeing. Credits. Um, yep. It is on Amazon Prime. Um, we are not being paid by Amazon. Fuck Amazon. Fuck you, Bezos. Mm-hmm. But it is on there um, for no additional cost. So, yes. <laughs> it's also one of those YouTube rentals. Whenever I type in these movies to watch, the YouTube option always comes up. Yeah. But fuck YouTube. Fuck, fuck them all. Um, There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. If you have a library, yeah. go get it at the library. But it's a hard one to find on DVD. Yeah. You know, this is a fun little movie. Like we, we always harp upon movie length, and while long movies have their place, uh, so do so do quick, efficient, to the point movies. Um, this one's a quick ninety minutes. Three different, four different stories. They're all inter- they're all captivated in their own way. I, I I would recommend this movie as this is a good like middle of the middle of October 
movie yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you're doing your own 13 days of Halloween film quickly, this insert is like this in there. Perfect for number eight yeah. or whatever. This is your time. Um, yeah. All right. So workers of note, um, as we said previously, it's an incredible cast. Um, so we want to highlight the casting directors, um, yes. Brian Cavan and Julie Mossberg, as well as the casting consultant, uh, Leonard Finger, who I can imagine mm-hmm. is the uh, son or grandson of Bill Finger, who created Batman. <laughs> yes. I was thinking the same thing. Um, we also have uh, the animal trainers, Brian McMillan and Stacey Re- uh, Regan. Um, the cat, the evil cat is very uh, prominent in the second one, obviously. Um, good cat actor. Um, a lot of a lot of props used to, but the scenes where, the, where they had to use the cat to do things that... It was suitably spooky and, and well-trained, so uh, props to them. Yeah. Um, finally, here we have, I think these all relate to the Lover's Vow uh, yeah. segment yeah. of the film. Um, puppet Fabrication, Michael Burnett, um, the gargoyle puppet is cool. Like we said, it looks a little hokey, mm-hmm. but um, it's. I always appreciate that kind of practical effect, especially when you're going through the motions of making a puppet or an animatronic or something like that you know it's not easy and you have to figure out how to film it and all that so um kudos and then these three are interesting uh the sketch artist uh stephen hall who i just assume made all the gargoyle sketches uh that preston uh draws um they're pretty cool a lot of them are charcoal drawings um Mm -hmm. that's that's pretty dope and like and like chalk on black paper which is cool yeah um and then artwork by mike reese and mm-hmm. I think these are probably the pieces of art in the gallery scene because um, it is a, a full gallery um, with different pieces of art, mixed media and all that. So yeah. I just assume this is this guy. Some, some sculpture yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's like one that's like a bunch of pallets put together or something in the background of one shot. It felt very like 90s New York, like industrial art. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a lot like um, the uh, Martin Scorsese um, vignette. Speaking of another vignette of uh, New York stories, uh, Martin okay. Scorsese does one about an artist. Um, it's a lot of okay. similar type artwork. Oh, and Steve Buscemi's in that one as well. He, mm. he plays a poet go. who's doing a spoken word in the subway. <laughs> Hell it's supposed to be like yes. the pretentious asshole. Yeah, uh, it's Hell funny. Yes. Worth, worth watching. Um, and then the storyboard artist, uh, Peter Selgin, um, especially for the first two segments, um, it's yep. really necessary to storyboard out that kind of stuff. Um, and it- With the Mr. Magoo-style <laughs> stealth for the mummy, very carefully composited with the very specific hallways that they were using. Yeah. Definitely necessary. Yeah. And then all the different transitions and and shots um, of the uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, cat from hell sequence. And there's also just like a lot yep. of great compositions just with the two of them when it's when Drogon, uh, the Uncle Lewis, and then uh, the hitman yes. are just in the room together. Yes. There's a lot of really interesting compositions using um, either wide shots or, or close ups with their faces. Um, so overall, you know, you need need a good storyboard artist for that. So kudos. For sure. Um, closing thoughts like I kind of got a galaxy brain or rather joker brain idea for this one um, for broke woke and bespoke for all three I think all three of these shorts could function as um, Batman short movies for each villain for villains that haven't gotten their own movies so I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm kind of riffing on Joker in, in our last review Catwoman um, the idea of like each of these shorts represents a different Batman villain that we haven't really seen on screen that much 
So for Broke, we have um, Bashemi as the Mad Hatter or Ventriloquist, right? Because like he he controls gotcha. the mummy, yeah. he controls the 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 new mummies that he creates later on. Um, it's it, of course it has more of like a magical edge to it than like the the Mad Hatter's mind control tech, but I think Bashemi would be a great Mad Hatter if they ever wanted to do that. Um, he certainly acts like creepy and weird enough in this one. Um, my woke recommend my woke idea is. Um, the hitman from the from the black cat one is kind of like Deadshot. Um, granted, we did get a Deadshot um, in Suicide Squad, but he that wasn't Deadshot. That was Will Smith playing Will Smith. Um, th- this guy is more of a mercenary asshole, like Deadshot is, um, especially with the weirdo gun that he has. Uh, and my woke recommendation is the gargoyle from the Lover's Vow. Um, give me heavy like uh, I'm gonna pull three pretty obscure Batman villains here. Uh, man bat char axes and Clayface. um man bat just because like it incredible folks yeah yeah <laughs> just bear with me folks listen i'm gonna just about this uh we get a little bit of man bat because like the idea although it's the artist character the idea of like this professional that um that falls from grace and then like the the idea of like changing like ch- changing from a normal respectable person into a monster at night is like man back uh char axis is um oh god so the the sh- the dumb lame Batman villain Killer Moth makes a deal with the devil and turns into a horrifying insect man beast called Charaxis, and that is the the bestial nature of of the gargoyle from from Lover's Vow reminded me of that, and then um, the Clayface component is um, the idea of tragic lost love and lost relationships because of an uncontrollable transformation. That's very much a, a Clayface um, attribute. Um, so yeah, my my broke woke broke, my boat my broke woke and bespoke recommendation is that all three of these function as uh, mini jokers or mini Catwoman uh, movies. Incredible folks. Um, they, uh, <laughs> so basically, for the whole month of October, if you didn't pick up, we were doing kind of like Halloween adjacent films. Um, yes. Supergirl. And Catwoman, yep. you know, uh, costumes you can buy at Spirit Halloween, like we said. And then uh, this one is just you know, a classic horror anthology. Um, but somehow mm-hmm. still now we just kept it within DC somehow. We just kept I don't it within DC. Um, what was our first one for October? What, what was That wasn't DC. Warcraft. Warcraft, right. So, again, somewhat Halloween adjacent, you know, fantasy costumes. Um, at least mm-hmm. we kept that mm-hmm. one. We kept DC out of that one. Maybe we didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, there's there's really no DC there. Um, yeah, no, it was just these ones. And and, and, and granted, admittedly, my, my backwards kind of um, shoehorning this this shit into there is is it's a little bit of a stretch. But I I think the tone of these movies, um, I I, I could see it, it would be neat to like do short vignettes based on like supervillains. I think it'd be a fun yeah, idea. Yeah, especially you know Batman's Rogues Gallery and like you said, some of the more right. um, you know B or C list ones at that char axis is like D list. <laughs> yeah clayface is more close closer to like a b list i mean you know even um more recently he's been in certain comics like there was one comic where like it was him robin and somebody else like on a team together yeah he he was recently in batman incorporated he becomes kind of good and in classic batman uh villain um batman villains are either straight up monsters or they're they're tragic figures and clayface is definitely one of the tragic figure types um, like in, in the animated series, you couldn't really control his transformation, and he was always looking for a cure, and that was his 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 pathos there. Right. Um, 
But the thing with Clayface is there's literally been like five or six versions of mm-hmm. that character. Yeah. All with varying abilities and backstories and, and everything and yeah. Yeah. So um WB D C Entertainment, uh if you would like a horror anthology that takes place in Gotham, um, you know where to find us. Uh, know where to find Procon us. Procon Patreon. Up, First, give us some money. Put up the, pro, uh, put up the Procon signal in the sky. Throw <laughs> <laughs> uh, so throw some uh, Procon bucks first, uh, and then uh, yes, please. And then we'll uh, we'll go from there. Um, yeah. The um, the kite man story is begging to be told. <laughs> yeah, folks. Uh, but yeah, that's what we got, folks. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Great little flick. I would check it out. Yeah. Definitely worth watching, um, not only for the great practical effects and uh, and the character actors and um, mainstream actors you all know and love, but um, just uh, these great classic horror and, and folklore themes. For sure. All right. We will see you next week. See you then, folks. The dark side is always there, waiting for us to enter, waiting to enter us. Until next time, try to enjoy the day.